All right. Well, good morning. Hey, let's go ahead and dismiss kids to children's church. We've got a special program for grade six and down, and you guys are dismissed to that now. Pastor Tim and his team have got a a great thing going. Boy, it was really exciting on Wednesday night around here. Tons of kids and uh, families. And so um, we are so thankful um, for that. The rest of you, if you want to grab your message notes, um, grab your Bibles, because uh, today I want to welcome you to day one of the Made for This journey. So everybody knows that any great journey starts with a first step. And so congratulations by your presence here this morning. You are taking that first step um, on this made for this journey. And so uh, whether you are watching online this morning, uh, whether you're in the gym joining us in the family uh, service, or you're right here in uh, the worship center, it has been our deep prayer that these next 40 days would really be a, a powerful thing, very significant for us in our journey to know and to live out what God has made us for. Uh, I'm also praying whenever we do something like this as the whole church, I'm praying for the, just the unity that takes place as we all do this um, together. So not only will we be hearing the messages for the next uh, seven weeks here on Sunday mornings, um, but I also double dog dare you um, to pick up a copy of uh, the What on Earth Am I Here For? Purpose Driven Life book. This has 42 daily devotionals in it. Today is day one of those devotionals. There's also a calendar out there that keeps you on track. Um, Each one takes maybe 15 minutes to kind of read through, uh, give you a chance to kind of meditate on the scriptures that are in there, look at the questions. I challenge you, double dog challenge you to do this, and uh, I'd love to see you do that. Also, if you have not joined a community group, I actually triple dog dare you um, to join a community group. And so Steve talked a little bit about that. Um, We're producing material that goes with this, allows you to kind of dig deeper into it, talk about it, how to live it out in real life. Um, So that's a great way to do that. And then um, each week, starting next Sunday, we've also got special events that are connected to what we're going to be learning here. Um, And so next Sunday night, we have an evening of worship and prayer as we kind of kick the the whole thing off. Then the following Sunday, September 4th, we're going to have an all-church picnic after the 12 o'clock service. When church is out at about 12, we hope that you would come to that. Uh, The next week, there's going to be a very cool discipleship opportunity. Uh, We're going to offer all of our next step classes at one time here on a Sunday night. You can choose which next step you want to take. We'll be talking about that. Um, Then the following week, we're going to have something where we can bless and uh, serve our neighbors around here. And then the very last week, we're going to be looking at God's global mission. And we're going to be taking a special offering uh, to be a part of what God is doing in India, uh, specifically to build some more classes for the Grace English School um, that is just expanding like crazy. So lots Lots of great stuff, and I hope, as I've been saying all along, that you would jump in with both feet um, into this journey. So obviously, this question, what on earth am I here for, uh, what is the meaning of life, is one of life's great questions, right? For generations, everybody, every generation has at some level been asking this question and debating the answer to this question, what on earth am I here for? In fact, not too long ago, I just read this week about a a study done out of UC San Diego just in the last few years um, that looked at the value, the importance of having purpose and meaning in life. And so they did a number of surveys. They did uh, over 1,200 surveys. They found a variety of answers of how people answered the 
question, um, what is the meaning of life? And some said things like whatever makes you happy, um, those kind of things. Um, some talked about relationships, which are super important. Some talked about con- contributions to uh, society. But far and away, the most common answer to the question of the meaning of life is, anybody know? I don't No, far and away, that was the most common response that people gave. I am still searching for the meaning of life. In fact, it was over 2,500 years ago that the prophet Jeremiah got very honest and real about this. And and this is how he said it in Jeremiah 20. He says, why was I ever born? Why was I ever born? Especially when he looks at his life and he says, my entire life has been filled with trouble and sorrow and shame. What is the point, asked Jeremiah. So over these next six weeks, our goal is not to look at what philosophers say. Our goal is not to look at the results of surveys, and though those things can be helpful. Our goal is not to look at the latest self-help book. Our goal is, over these sacred weeks together, to, as a congregation, dive into what God's Word says about what life is all about. And we are going to actually see five reoccurring themes that run all the way, really, from Genesis to Revelation that we call the meaning or the purpose of life. And today, as we kind of kick this off, we're going to begin with those five starting next week. But today we're going to kick off uh, the Made for This Journey. And I want to actually uh, ask you to open your Bible to kind of a surprising place to look for the meaning of life. And I want us to spend some time in Genesis chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open it up to page 5, Genesis chapter 5. You can also find that on uh, the app as well. Um, and uh, so open that up to Genesis chapter 5. Uh, in my Bible, um, this Genesis chapter 5 has the very exciting title that says, uh, From Adam to Noah. From Adam to Noah. So Genesis chapter 5 is, you guessed it, one of those genealogies that the Bible includes, where it talks about who lived and how long. Um, and it seems like kind of an odd place to look um, for the meaning of life. But I think we're going to see some powerful stuff. So this is 10 generations from Adam to Noah. This is sometimes called, Genesis 5 is sometimes called the and he died chapter. And now are you just cheered up by that? This is the and he died chapter because that kind of describes so much of what is going on in some of the lives that we're going to look at. So let's jump in to Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where it says this. It says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. So obviously Adam and Eve are the first humans. This is kind of the original ancestry.com. You know, you want to see who your ancestors are. This is all the way from Adam to Noah. Surprise, surprise, they're all related to each other. Um, But it says this, when God created mankind, When God created mankind, that's important, he made them in the likeness of God. And he created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind. It's actually the word Adam there. He named them Adam, mankind, when they were created. Man, those are powerful verses to kind of kick this genealogy off. Um, We could actually spend the the whole morning kind of going over these things. But I want you to just notice a couple things. Maybe you want to highlight these or or circle them in your notes. Um, The first one is that mankind was created in the image of God. So much of our purpose and meaning of life involves living out who we are created to be, which is people that bear the image of God. Of God. That's why we're so closely tied to and connected um, to God. So that's kind of the first point. Also, notice um, he throws in that we are distinctly, when God created us, he made us distinctly male and female. 
Now, obviously, that's under attack in the culture that we live in today that wants to kind of throw gender away, but part of God's original design was you were made male and you were made female, and that's how God uh, created things. He also created, um, when he created humanity, the word created is formed. It's the Hebrew word bara. So God formed or created, and it also noticed that God blessed the people that he created. The Hebrew word there is barak. So God bara and barak, he created and blessed the people, and all of that is just dripping with purpose, dripping with the value of God's deep love and intentionality for humanity. The point is we're the, the pinnacle of his creation created for him. So what do people do with all this purpose? That's verses one and two. Now we're going to see what do people do with all of this great purpose that God made them for. Look at verse three. It says this, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters, and altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years. And then, as we said, he died. Now, what I want us to notice, first of all, is the the pattern that we're going to see here. But before we do that, it's hard to read this chapter without kind of being sidetracked by the question, how in the world did they live so long? How did he live to be 930 years? Um, And as your pastor who uh, went to seminary to study the Bible and who loves you very much, I don't really know the answer to that question. People debate that. Was the atmosphere different before the flood? Was it so close to creation that so there weren't the you know, number of diseases and problems that were, were introduced? Did God just change things? No, people debate that and there's hints, but nobody really knows for sure. But don't be distracted by that because what I want us to really zero in on this morning is the pattern of this life. And notice the pattern was Adam, and we're going to see it time and time again, lived And then he had some children. In this case, he had Seth. And then he lived some more, a really long time. And then he died. Let's look at the pattern a little bit more. Verse 6 says this. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years. Wow. And then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenon, who became the father of, uh, after he became the father of Kenon, Enosh lived 815 years, had some other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. In fact, to save you some time, let me just tell you, this is the exact same pattern that we see for six generations. Six generations, the same thing. They lived, they had some kids, they lived some more, and then they died hardly seems to answer the question, what is the meaning of life, does it? Well, I want us to look a a little bit more. I want us to actually look in verse um, 21, uh, because what we're about to see is a break in the pattern. And in Hebrew literature, and really in, in most literature, if there's a pattern, 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 and then there's a break in the pattern, that's meant to call our attention uh, to something big that is happening there. And that's what the author of Genesis uh, does, does here. He gives us his pattern, and then he gives us a break in the pattern in verse 23 that says this. It's now he's talking about a guy by the name of Enoch. He's the seventh generation after Adam. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, so same pattern so far, but then after he became the father of Methuselah, check this out, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. 
Enoch uh, lived a total of 365 years. And then get this. Enoch walked faithfully with God, uh, with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Talk about a break in the pattern. That's a, a very dramatic thing. Instead of just living and having some kids and then living a little bit more and dying, this is what Enoch does. Enoch lived and had a son, and then he walked faithfully with God. And then he walked with God so much that when it came time, you don't have that same repetition that he died. It says he just walked into eternity with God. Friends, I am here to suggest to you this morning, and not just suggest, tell you what the God of the universe says. You are not just made by him to make it through life. You are not just made to to live and work and maybe have some kids and live a little more and then die. You are not made for just a a comfortable, um, easy, entertaining life of piling up stuff. You guys, we are made by God to walk with God. How do I know that? Look at what Adam and Eve were doing before sin entered into the world. They were walking with God. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning is we are going to consider this idea. What does it mean uh, to walk with God? And to do this, um, the Bible is obviously full of the answer to this question. What does it look like to walk with God? Uh, But I want us to investigate this kind of obscure character known as Enoch. So Enoch is actually mentioned five times in the Bible here in Genesis 5 um, and then a couple times in the Old Testament. And actually, though he's an Old Testament character, you actually find out a little bit more about Enoch in the New Testament where they describe some of the great things about him. So what I want to do is I want to look at what does it mean to walk with God from the life of Enoch, and that means we're going to have to turn uh, from Genesis all the way to Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 11 is where we see Enoch talked about, Um, and what I want us to see is that walking with God is a life of faith, right? From the very beginning, it is a life of faith in my creator. I am the created, he is the creator, and so the key word in this whole concept is trust, How do I trust the one who made me? So uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, not Genesis, we're past that. Hebrews 11 um, verse 1 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So that's kind of the introduction to this chapter on faith. Um, it says faith is, is even in what you cannot see, that what we can see was actually made by the unseen. And then it gives us a list of people that kind of lived this faith out. The second person listed is Enoch. So in verse 5, this is what we read. It says, by faith, Enoch, there's our hero, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we see the way that the writer of Hebrews um, describes Enoch who walked with God is that he was a person who walked by faith. He was a person of trust and, and, and faith, not just in what he could see, but even in the unseen. His primary mission in life, according to this, was not about what he could feel, taste, and touch, and see. It was faith in even the unseen, 
Though we can't see God, we can see the effects of God. And Enoch said, that's what life is about, right? If we're going to get this, we have to realize that we are made by God and for God. We are the created. He is the creator. And everything that God makes, he has purpose for. In fact, look at at Proverbs 16.4. It says this, the Lord has made everything for his own purposes, right? So he's given us design. And, And to know what our design is, we have to look to our creator and understand our creator. So as I was thinking a little bit about this, I was thinking about things that sometimes you don't know what they're, they're for, right? You look at it and you just don't know what it is. And so um, I actually uh, found a few kind of uh, obscure, maybe household items that I didn't know what they were. And so I wonder if you do, like for instance, I've got a few pictures here. Does anybody know what this is? Does anybody know what that is? That is, ladies and gentlemen, a microwave bacon rack. See that? You put your bacon over that. And I didn't know that until I saw. All right, how about this one? Uh, uh, Does anybody know what this is? I've never seen this, but I want one. I don't know if it works or not. Anyone know? It's a citrus juicer. Some of you guys know. I want, how did I miss this? You jam it into the lemon and then it gives you lemon spray. Does it work? No, I'm not sure it does. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it does. All right, uh, here's another one that I've just missed my entire life. Anybody know what this is? That is a heated knife. You warm it up so you can slice through the butter, right? And don't you need that in life? I mean, absolutely. And who knew? All right, actually, I did know this last one, and actually the church owns one of these. Does anybody know what that is? That is how you get the communion juice into all those little cups right there. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a communion juice filler. It is not a miracle. Sorry to take the mystery away. Um, you pour the juice in and it all just goes right into that and it's a miracle. But at least for me, you look at some of those things and you think, what is the purpose of those things? And to understand the purpose, you actually have to look at what the creator says about them. What are these things actually made for? And so can I just tell you a few things that your creator and my creator says about me and you? Sometimes if you want to know what what you're made for, this is what the creator says. Ephesians 2, we are God's handiwork. Sometimes it says we are his workmanship. The word's poema. We're like the poem that he wrote. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Micah 6, 8 talks about our purpose like this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require for you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I love the way Jesus says it like this. What's, what's the meaning of life? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's, that's what you worry about. You seek first God. You seek first his kingdom and the righteousness that comes from knowing him. And all the other stuff, all these other things that we spend all of our time worrying about will be added to you. You see, walking with God is a life of faith in our creator. And it's counterintuitive because it seems if I want my life to be happy, that I have to kind of control my life and make sure everything's going the way I want it. But what we're taught is that Actually, the real meaning comes when I trust not myself, but I trust God. And that's where the power is. And Enoch walked with God and is our example. Second thing we see about walking with God is that it often means that I'm going to have to walk against the culture. 
It means I'm going to have to walk God's ways, which often is going to put me at odds with all kinds of different um, cultures. And so the key word here is surrender. The key word is surrender. So back in our idea in Genesis chapter 5, there are 10 generations that all are described from Adam to Noah. Enoch is the only one that is different. Everybody else followed the exact same pattern. Enoch stands out because he runs counter to that culture. And actually, one of the New Testament writers describes this to us. Um, Enoch is mentioned in the obscure little New Testament book of Jude. If you want to turn to Jude, you can. I can read it uh, for you as well. So Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, and Jude wrote a little one-chapter book um, primarily about how do you stand against the culture. And not just the culture out there, but he talks a lot about false teachers and those kind of things. Um, And he uses an example of Enoch in verse 14. So Jude 14 and 15 say this, Enoch, there's our hero, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam did what? He prophesied about these people. He said, listen, he said to those people, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. So one of the things we see is that Enoch stands out because he spoke up and he said, hey, you guys, God is coming and God sees, and judgment is coming. So he runs against the culture there. So first, why does Jude mention that Enoch is the seventh from Adam, the seventh generation um, from Adam? That's what he was, obviously. Um, but, but Jude is also distinguishing between another Enoch in the Bible. There are actually two guys by the name of Enoch, different people, same name. Uh, the first Enoch is just one chapter earlier in Genesis chapter 4. He is in the line of Cain. We don't know a whole bunch of about this Enoch. What we do know is kind of interesting to me in that a city was named after this other Enoch. So Cain had a a descendant uh, named Enoch, and they actually named a city after him. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to like figuring out the meaning of life, it seems like getting a city named after you would, you know, kind of put you on that, that pathway, right? But Jude says, this is Enoch the seventh from Adam because I don't want you to get him confused with this other guy. Because that other guy, that's all fine and good that he got a city named after him. But the one that I want you to look at is not the one that was recognized by people. I want you to recognize the one who, I want you to follow the one who was recognized by God. Having a city named after you is all fine and good. But you guys, when we're talking about what life is about, I want you to know zero in on the seventh from Adam because what did he do? He walked faithfully with God. He points us back to that purpose. He says, all that other stuff, that's, that's fine and good. But really, it's at this idea of walking with God. So Jude also, Jude also points out that Enoch stood firm against the non-believing world. He was this prophetic voice of truth and love to the non-believing world. Specifically, he prophesied on behalf of God that a day of judgment was coming and they needed to turn back. Now, of course, we know that that is fulfilled because eventually comes the, the flood. Um, and so that's something that, that uh, Enoch did as someone who walked with God as he, he stood for God. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, hey, those were Bible times. How bad could it be? You know, the world that we live in, way different, way worse than the day that Enoch lived in. If you think that, you need to go back and read Genesis 2 through 6. 
They dealt with all kinds of things. They had people that were ignoring God's commands. There were people that were lying about it. They were blaming other people. There was jealousy, violence. There was bloodshed even among family members. There was greed. There was sexual immorality. There was drunkenness and more, right? And Enoch stands out not only from the way that he lives from the the, the culture, his, his life looks different, but he is also who someone who is a voice that calls people to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. Part of our calling as a church, part of our calling as believers in Jesus Christ is to not only stand apart as different, but to be a voice that's different and calling people people to turn around and come to God. Now, that's a daunting task in this world this day. I think we think a lot about, about it, right? How do you do that effectively when it seems like the world is running away from God instead of running toward God? That's, that may be the, the challenge of our generation. How do we be people that, that speak truth and do it in love? But it doesn't matter because Jesus calls us to be the light of the world and to be a city on a hill. And so Enoch uh, stood firm, uh, even against kind of the non-believing uh, world of his day. But actually, Jude kind of points him out as an example, not because of the way that he stands out against the non-believing world, but he stands out as someone who was on guard against false teachings in the church. That's really what the book of Jude is about. He stands firm against this false teaching um, within the church. Now, we could talk a ton on this issue about, you know, what does it mean to stand firm against false teachings um, in the church, but I'm so thankful for this series because it will help us to do that in a powerful way. It'll help us to stand firm against the false teaching that is out there that divides and discourages and defeats and pulls people away. But I think digging into this series helps us so much. Why? Because it focuses us on what is most important. It focuses us not on all of the details, but on the, the core issues that, as we said, God's revealed about how we're supposed to live and so Jude is an exa- or, I'm sorry, Enoch is an example to this, uh, uh, to us of this, um, and we're going to be doing this over these next um, six weeks together. In fact, just a little bit of a sidebar. One of the things that I'm most encouraged about um, for this series and for this uh, journey is one of, I think, the the most egregious false teachings in the the church and especially in the American evangelical church over the last. I don't know, maybe 50 years, is what it sometimes gets labeled consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is, doesn't start with this idea that it's about God. It starts with this idea of, of it's about me. And so I approach my faith like I do most things as a Western person from an individualistic standpoint and from a consumer standpoint. What do I get from God? That's not the, the way the Bible talks about a relationship with God. He's the creator we're the created. He's the potter, we're the clay. The clay doesn't ask the potter what's in it for me. The clay just does what the potter tells it to do. And so if you think about this, and and churches, you know, all churches, or many churches, um, have had good intentions. They have wanted 
to see people come to faith. They've wanted to see people come to church and hear about the goodness of God, and that is a, a good intention, and we are called to do that. But sometimes with good intentions, they've miscommunicated things. And so we're going to refocus on these things. And so if you think about what this looks like in, in kind of the five core areas that we're going to um, look at, over the last many years, worship, for instance, which is what we're going to talk about um, next week, worship has become more about entertainment. And is it my favorite song? When worship, we're going to see is really about a lifestyle. Singing is a part of it, but worship isn't about singing. Worship is about a lifestyle. We see that fellowship has, has often become about a social club. So we're made for intense spirit, we're made for spiritual uh, relationships, um, and that's what the church is supposed to be, but instead we substitute a, a, a social club where we're, there are cliques that can be involved, and, and gossip is accepted, and forgiveness is not granted, and, and grudges are allowed to be held onto, and, and we don't let people sharpen us spiritually the way that fellowship is really meant to, because we want what's about us? Discipleship, this idea of maturity. We've made maturity about gathering more information. So we look at the person who's spiritual, mature, spiritually mature as a Christian as the person who what? Goes to the most Bible studies or downloads the most sermons. When Jesus never calls us to a classroom, Jesus calls us to walk with him and to live it out. And that's where spiritual maturity takes place, not just in information, but in action and living for Christ. We've made ministry, which is one of the things that we're created for, more about convenience. So sure, I'll do that when it fits my schedule and I like it and da-da-da-da-da, when ministry is about selflessly giving ourselves away. And when it comes to mission, we've often outsourced the idea of missions to others. So we'll give money, which is important and a part of what God is doing around the world, but we, 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 we give that money and so other people can be missionaries. When one of the things we're going to see is our purpose in life is that every single one of us is called to be a missionary. So do you see how this idea can call us back, sometimes against the culture, right? It's going to call us back to what God really designed. And that's something um, that Enoch did. And he's remembered not just as someone who walked with God, but someone who put that into action by standing firm against the culture. And then the last thing that we are going to look at this morning before we jump in next week into purpose number one is walking with God is preparation for eternity. Walking with God is preparation for eternity. The key word here is focus. Why focus? Because when we think about life in terms of eternity, the question is what are we focusing on? What are we spending our time, our energy, our talents, our resources on? Things that are just for this life or things that are going to last forever because we are made for eternity. So how does Enoch break this pattern, right? How does Enoch break the pattern? Remember, he lived for 65 years um, and then he had children. By the way, something happens after he lived 65 years and then he has kids. He has some sort of like spiritual conversion or spiritually uh, awakening. And that happens to sometimes you, you have kids and you're like, oh my goodness, I need God. Um, uh, Enoch walked with God 65 years, had kids and or lived. And after he had kids, then he started to walk with God. At least that's the way um, it's presented to us. But Enoch not only walks faithfully with God, but he walks faithfully with God so much um, that eventually it says that God just took him away. God just took him away. He doesn't fill that pattern of he died. Now again, 
we don't want to get lost in the details of this because we don't know the answer of how God took him away. Was it a, you know, a chariot of fire like it was with Elijah? Is this a, a figure of, of a, a rapture that happens one day for those that are alive when Christ um, returns? We don't know. But what we know is this, is that the way he walked with God on this earth changed his eternity. And so he walked with God in this life. And when it came time for him to die, it was different than the other people. And he walked with God right into the presence of eternity. What an amazing goal that is. You see, the Bible calls this life that we're in a a mist. It's a vapor. It's a flower that fades. Our bodies are compared to like a a tent, a temporary tent, when we're made for a a lasting, heavenly structure. In fact, I have this illustration that may or may not work that I want to kind of show you this. Uh, I was thinking a little bit about eternity. And so I have uh, this rope and I need a helper. Like, Robert, would you come help me? So thank you, Robert. I guess I didn't really give you a chance. So Robert, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold this end of the rope and I just want you to take it as far as you can go. So just kind of go out there. I think you're going to be able to go kind of out the door all the way. Keep going. Keep going. You might even make it to our friends in the gym. I don't know. Out it goes. Thanks. little hustle there, Robert. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Thanks, bud. There you go. All right. So this, that you can't even see the end of this rope, let's just say that it represents eternity, right? So this is time and eternity. Um, if this represents eternity, let's just say this much of this rope represents all of human history so far, right? This is what we've covered so far from Adam to now. Seems like a long time, but it's about this much. Now I want you to think about your life. And let's just say you're going to live to be 80, 90. Let's just say you're going to live to be 100 years old. Do you know what your life looks like compared to this, even if you live to 100 years old? It's this little red thing. It's actually, I made this bigger than it probably is because I wanted you to at least to be able to try to see it. And this, you guys, is what we've been given to prepare for that. So what is our focus? Robert, I'm not sure what to do with the rope, actually. I hadn't really thought that 100% through. Maybe I'll throw it there. And, and, uh, <laughs> well, but the point is, the point is we were made to last forever. And so what we do here on earth matters. It's preparation for eternity right? Paul talks about it like this. He says in 1 Corinthians 3 that all of us are building something in life. And he says some people are going to build with with gold and silver and jewels. And he says some people are going to build with with wood and hay or stubble. And he says everything that's built is going to be tested by fire at the day of judgment. And clearly the things that are not going to last are going to be burned up. Thanks, bud. Um, Are going uh, going to be burned up. And so the question is, what are you doing to build uh, to last? Hey, I want to just kind of conclude by showing you a little video um, that actually includes a couple of my favorite things. It includes baseball um, and a happy ending. And so I want to introduce you to a guy. Maybe you've heard about him in the last few weeks. His name is Winton Bernard. Winton Bernard uh, was a baseball player, and he played 11 years in the minor leagues. For 11 years, he played uh, over 
3,500 at bats. He played almost 900 games in the minor leagues. He played for, I think, four different organizations. He played in six different countries, always trying to make it to the major leagues. He was two weeks short of his 32nd birthday, which, by the way, is getting pretty old in, in baseball years, right? So he's two weeks short of his birthday, and the manager calls him in to the office. He's not 100% sure what the manager is going to say, but the manager says, your dream is coming true. You're going to the major leagues, and you're going to play for the Colorado Rockies. He says his, all of the teammates gathered around and cheered because they knew all that he had endured to make it to this goal. But while his teammates cheered, he knew that his first phone call that he had to make was to his mom. And so I want you to see about a minute of this phone call between uh, Bernard and his mom. Mom. Okay, can you see me? Can you see me? I can see you. Mom, I'm going to the major leagues. <laughs> I'm going, Mama. I'm going, Mom. I promise. I promise, Mom. I'm going. Come on. I gotta figure out all the logistics in a second. They just told me just now. I did it, Mommy. I did it, Mom. I love you so much. Thank you for everything, Mom. Thank you. Thank you for. Thank you for supporting me. I couldn't do this without you. I did, Mom. I did. You just, you just fulfilled your destiny, son. Yep. I love you. I love you, too. All right. Hey, I don't know how well you can hear that, but what his mom says to him after they get through the tears is, you just fulfilled your destiny. She'd seen all the work, and now the, finally he was at that moment of reward. And she says, all the stuff that you've lived for, you're about to go experience it now. now. And I don't want to make light of the earthly destiny that he achieved to make it to the major leagues. That's a big deal. But actually, Winton Bernard is a, a Christian guy who knows that life is about more than just the major leagues. And I want you to think about that conversation, not in terms of achieving an earthly goal, but I want you to think about it at the, the end of however many years God gives you to have that conversation when you think, I've worked, I've lived, I've trusted in you, I've surrendered to you, I've given my life to you. And God says, walk with me into eternity. You've reached your destiny. And imagine the joy and imagine the tears and imagine all that God has for you. You see, you and I were made by God and for God. Life's not gonna make sense until we figure that out. But we are not just made for this earth, but we're made for eternity. And that begins with our walk with God now. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word that reveals this plan to us. Father, that we were made for more. Um, we're all striving. We're all kind of making it through life. Some of us are just surviving. Some of us are chasing after all kinds of things. But thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to set aside these weeks to refocus on what life is really all about, your design from the beginning of time. Thank you, Lord, for a guy like Enoch who stands out in his day as someone who went against the culture in the way that he walked with God. Help us to be those kind of people as well. And right now, my heart just really goes out to all of us as we're thinking about this walk, and some are thinking, how do I even begin that journey? Father, I pray that you would prompt their heart that, that the, the beginning of that journey is just to say, Jesus, come into my life. 
And maybe all over the room, there's people that need to say, I need to begin this journey by placing my faith in you. So Jesus, I pray that you would come into those hearts that are open for you. Those that have never received you, those that have fallen off that journey that need to come back. Father, I pray that you would put them back on that pathway of walking with you. In fact, just in the quiet of this moment, um, as any journey, the beginning is that first step. And I wonder if there's some of you here today that need to take that first step. And so if you're here today and, and you've never really surrendered your life to Christ and have that walk with God that we've been talking about, but you want to begin that journey today, if you would, I've got my eyes open, but with everybody else's eyes closed, can you just slip your hand up? I'd love to see you and kind of agree with you on that. That is so awesome. I see that. Anyone else? Awesome. Anyone else maybe feel like I've wandered off that pathway and need to come back? You could raise your hand. I'd love to agree with you on that. Yeah. Awesome. Father, I thank you for the things that you want to do over these next 40 days. Father, we kind of enter into this sacred time as your church, asking, Lord, that you would work in powerful ways. We thank you for this time, and we give it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.